Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and and listening to the news just before we begin the program. We always see lots of things that we could probably talk about, and of course, there's a lot of things in the news. One of the big things is Elon Musk is talking about buying Twitter, and Twitter is supposedly one of those free speech platforms that hasn't been a free speech platform. I mean, the uh, somebody was pointing out that the president wasn't of the United States wasn't allowed on there, but uh, uh, Putin is allowed on there while he's invading another country. <laughs> so, and uh, so it's it's definitely a biased platform. And uh, the amazing thing is the secret uh, algorithms that go on behind the scenes, so that you don't, you know, if you say certain things, you're your message is not going out. It's not. Uh, it's it's biased. It's skewed. Uh, it's stifling free speech, and it is the policy to do so. And it's very one-sided. And uh, of course, we've seen that for years now in the media, and uh, we've seen it in the schools, in the education. We have articles up on uh, schools as tools which show that there's been over a 100 years of conspiracy uh, documented by the United States government uh, to alter the way in which Americans view history, alter the way they understand things. And, of course, if we go into the biblical text, we go into the translations of the biblical text, we go into the theologies and doctrines surrounding the biblical text, we see that there's been thousands of years altering the way in which we perceive these sacred scriptures. And, of course, you could actually even go into ancient uh, scriptures in other religions, from the Bhagavad Gita to the the authorship of the Brahmins uh, and the Arthavedas, uh, which some believe were actually authored by Abraham uh, because uh, of the... Uh, if you, you go back far enough, you find that, wait a minute, uh, Abraham was not just this isolated sheep herder that was wandering around in the desert. And uh, his offspring were actually the head of whole nations. And the reality of understanding all these ins and outs uh, will change, could change your view of history back in another direction. But... The way in which it's presented, the arguments, the uh, logical state uh, status of your presentation will alter the way in which you see certain things, alter the way in which you move in uh, a logical pattern or an illogical pattern towards either faulty conclusions or true conclusions. So what is the truth? If If... Elon Musk is successful in freeing up Twitter so that it becomes an actual free speech platform. You're going to be facing the same thing that Thomas Jefferson talked about 200 years ago in America. If you if you read the paper, you will be misinformed. If you uh, don't read the 
paper, you will be uninformed. So you have two choices there, to be misinformed or to be uninformed. Well, what is what is the difference between that and Twitter and a free Twitter and a not-so-free Twitter is that you still have the problem of trying to find out what is the truth. And, of course, that's where it all began. And, you know, we've added to our article on the tree of knowledge, the tree of knowledge, the tree of life. Uh, this was the dilemma facing Adam and Eve. How do I know what the truth is? How do I know what is good and evil? We can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or we can eat of the tree of life. Because if you eat of the tree of life, you will know what is good and evil, what is right and wrong, in a much more detailed manner, in a much more important manner, than if you uh, go and and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your mind, your intellect. And if you, on your own, just using your intellect, try to figure out what is true and what is not true, what is uh, the reality of the situation and what is the false reality, the false narrative, you will not be able to do it, no matter how smart you are. And in fact, the smarter you are in intellectual intelligence, the more likely is you will have a false uh, understanding of the truth because of the fact that the more intellectual power you have, the more likely you will be misled. The key to understanding the truth is all those things that Christ talked about, which is uh, humility, sacrifice, forgiveness. If you're unforgiving, if you're selfish, this is going to be the tools by which you can be led away from the truth. And of course, the evil that is in the world that wants power over you, wants to take away your right to choose, wants to move you from a child of God to a a object, a a matter of uh, a possession, a merchandise, is going to use your unforgiveness, your selfishness, your uh, desire to control others to control you. Any con artist knows that uh, you know a sucker is born every minute, but the way in which you get the sucker to do what you want is that you manipulate that individual through a process of using his own desires to manipulate him. You you cater to his uh, greed to steal and rob him, to subvert his understanding of what is really going on. Because... When you fall to that greed, you fall to that avarice, you fall to that desire to satisfy yourself, you are blinded by your own ambition. So anyway, that's kind of a quick rundown. we got a lot of different topics that we've been talking about, returning to Galatians and going through that, Zephaniah, Titus, Acts. Uh, it is, I have been doing all kinds of things and supporting other articles and expanding other articles or article on the... Uh, canon of the of the bible you know why is the books that are in the bible in the bible how did they go about determining what books were in the bible who was determining that 
And the reality is not always good people were making that determination. But the same as evil is always working behind the scenes to manipulate you into a world of darkness and confusion, uh, the good is always working also behind the scenes to bring light where there is darkness. And these two elements, which is interesting to even call them both elements, darkness is not really an element. Darkness is simply the absence of the truth. And uh, it, it's, it's not warring against the light. You can't shine darkness into a room filled with light and see a beam of darkness going across the room. But you can shine a beam of light through a room that is filled with darkness and you will see the beam going across the room because darkness is simply the absence of the light and a lie is simply the absence of the truth which is how the lie progresses in you is it gets you to deny to de, gets you to deny a part of that truth and it 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 like the bullfighter it distracts you away from the logic of god the the truth of god the the spirit of god and it does this often because so much in the bible because you're talking about spiritual things christ used parables the Bible uses metaphors. The Hebrew language uses metaphors, allegories to try to talk to you about things that are outside of this realm because you fall into the fleshly realm. And so you only have the fleshly realm to talk about the things of the Spirit. To really know the things of the Spirit, you have to be born again of the Spirit, which is what born again really means, to be born again from above, this other spiritual realm. And when you're born again from above, you will have other eyes. The scales will come off because you will now have spiritual eyes to see what's really going on. Evil is going to want you to go back and respond to the things of the flesh. Fear, anger, lust, avarice, sloth. Uh, all these things, that's, that's how evil gets its control over you is that you fall prey to that. And so Christ created a system of government which was like the government that Moses was talking about, like the system of altars that Abraham was teaching the people. It was a system where you, you could not just care about you. You had to care about other people as much as you cared about you. And you had to actively insert that care into your daily ministration, your daily relationship with society. You had to actually care about your neighbor, love your neighbor, actively pursue what was best for your neighbor in order for you to be awakened to the truth. Now, if you look at the uh, social progressives, uh, the socialism, they're actually trying to get you not to think about your neighbor, except in kind of general terms. But what they're actually doing is uh, distracting you from the seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because that seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is seeking the way. 
It is seeking that activity of caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. So anyway, in order to get these explanations out, and you're not going to learn it, you're not really going to learn it by all the intellectual information that we put on the web at Preparing You or at His Holy Church. But what those things may help you do is set down the delusions that you're now focused on instead of being focused on things of the Spirit. So I, I've added to an article on uh, the Hebrew language. I've, I've written uh, quite a bit more on double letters because uh, one of the things that they point out when they look at the Hebrew language is there's only a few thousand different words in the Hebrew language. If you go to the English language, there's ten times the words in the English language. This is what they will tell you. Because they say, well, there's only so many words in the Hebrew language, so it's not a very rich language, so it's very difficult to talk about certain things. But the reality is, in the Hebrew language, every letter in a word has a meaning. The letters are put in that word to create the meaning of the word. And even though you may only have 6,000 words or whatever number that they come up with, because a lot of guys come up with different numbers, the reality is you find those words and you look in the original text, you will find words with lots of additional letters. And letters will move around in the same word. And that's actually a different word now. It's not the, it's not the root word with a letter added. It's a different word. It has some of its meaning from the original root word, but it means more because they've added this other letter or they moved a letter around in the word itself. And so in, in reality, there are thousands and thousands more words in the Hebrew language than they give it credit for. So I, and I've been teaching this for people for a long time, not that everybody has to go out and learn Hebrew. Again, the reason I give you this extra knowledge is so that you can set down the preconceived notions that you already have that just ain't so. And so I've written more about the double letters because I've seen them showing up more and more, like like the double tav. Um, that was one of the first things that I noticed in, in studying Hebrew is this double tav. Tav is the letter that really more than any other stands for faith. And a double tov means double faith. Well, is that a double portion of faith? I mean, like Jerusalem is a double portion of peace. That's what the word means, Jerusalem. But the reality is what it means is it's, it's faith in spirit and truth. You not only believe in your spirit, but you've manifested that belief into action. And, of course, Christ talks about this. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, say they believe, say that they love Jesus, but those who actually do, does, or doeth the will of the Father. Because that is an important part of awakening. Is not that you just awaken and remain in bed. <laughs> that you actually awaken and get up and use that understanding that you've been given in day-to-day life because we live in, like the letter Gimel, we live in a cause and effect universe. That if you are given understanding, you must act upon that understanding. 
And again, that's why Christ told us to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands so that we can put the understanding of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us, but comes upon our mind and our hearts, we can put it into action. Again, go back to what we said just at the beginning of the program, that the tree of knowledge and the tree of life is your brain, your your nervous system. It is, and you're either eating of the tree of your intellectual knowledge or you're eating of the spirit of life that God breathed into us in the beginning. And when we eat of that tree of life, that Holy Spirit, we are in the garden. The word garden in the Hebrew means a protected place. So we are in a protected place. And what is one of the things that we have to be protected from? The lies on Twitter. <laughs> the lies in CNN. The lies in the media. The lies in your school book. The lies that are in your churches. The lies that are in the mouths of your preachers that have not been preaching the gospel of the kingdom, but the gospel manufactured by men, which is a form of idolatry. Now, we did a program a couple of weeks ago on idolatry, and of course the Bible tells us covetousness is idolatry. Socialism is a system of covetousness, where everybody supposedly goes to work, but the people who work harder, the product of their labor is taken away from them and redistributed amongst the other people who either chose not to work so hard or couldn't work so hard. And so the idea that socialism is taking the means of production and putting it into the control of the people is absolutely the reverse of what you're doing. Socialism is taking the means of production, which is you, out of the control of the individual and putting it in control of the collective or the leaders elected by the collective. And, of course, socialism, being a covetous practice, will weaken society so that you will have no strength to withstand the tyrants that come about, which uh, 2,000 years ago Polybius said, The masses become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others degenerate into perfect savages finding once more a monarch and a king. Which is why people like Klaus Schwab and and FDR and all these people and all these people that are saying, oh, we want a guaranteed income. Because they want you to become accustomed to living at the expense of others. Socialism, that's what it's about. You you will become accustomed to living at the expense of others. And this will degenerate you in your mind and in your heart. It will kill care. It, it will weaken you and, ta- and you will lose the right to choose and you will become a human resource. Easily managed. And that's their goal. Now, if you want to become free souls under God, you have to go the other way. You have to do something different, and that's what we're always talking about. So, in the news, we've we've seen a lot of things, like a couple of things I just noticed. I I didn't get to my email for about 
24 hours or so, and I had like a thousand emails to zoom through. <laughs> and uh, um, I saw a couple of stories. Uh, one came from Joseph Marcola, who talks about uh, are the Folivax more likely to die from COVID? Well, actually, there was a study that has come out that he he doesn't even seem to mention. I didn't get to read the whole article, but I never got to any part where it shows this study. It was done amongst the counties in the country, and they found that people, the more, you know, the, they've been watching different counties, they get a rating based on the amount of people in their county that is vaccinated. The more people in their county that is vaccinated, they get this higher percentage of vaccinated people. And uh, the county I happen to live in is the lowest vaccinated percentage people in the state of Oregon. And uh, so it, that study caught my eye. I passed it on to the county commissioners. But the reality is that all the counties, whether it's a heavily populated county or not heavily populated county, a rural county or a county with lots of cities in it, the more vaccinations they got in those counties, the more cases of severe COVID they're getting. Uh, and when I say COVID, that's anything with flu-like symptoms, whether it's COVID or, or caused by something else. Or they talk about variants. We know all the variants, according to science, are coming are being created in the large vaccinated population. That's where variants are more likely by far to be produced. So the reality is that 27% is the low number. More cases, the more vaccinated a county is. And they look at all the demographics of of the county and it, it keeps coming out. In some cases, it's far more. And of course, that we predicted that on the show two years ago almost. Uh, that this was likely to happen even before they came out with a vaccination based on the studies out of Georgetown University, which were available to all the media, but the media wouldn't touch those because they have a different agenda. We have an agenda too. Our agenda is the truth. So, but we're going to talk about, at, like we did a show on Durst, we've done a show on idolatry, the audios for that idolatry show are at preparing you on the page on idolatry. We've done a, a done shows on born again. Most of the people who think they're born again, if they just read a couple more verses in the, you know, John 3, uh, they will see that if you're doing certain things, you're not born again. If you have certain behavior, you know, and the Bible tells you, you're not born again. People don't want to hear that because they want to imagine in their strong delusion that they're born again. Just like some people want to imagine that they're girls and get to swim for gold medals against girls even though they're not girls. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to get into what you can do about this when we return to the Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. So like we were saying in the first part of the program, that socialism is actually a removal of the means of production away from the hands of the individual people and putting them in the hands of some sort of ruler or dictator or tyrant or whatever. So eventually, that's 
Men who seek power will seek the offices of power to redistribute the wealth, which will make them more powerful. And they will award their cronies. We see this when they they chose to have a king in Israel. And it what a bad situation went from bad to worse. And um, the truth is that capitalism, which is not a governmental system, it's not a political system, it's the means of production is in the hands of the individual. Now, some people will tell you that capitalism breeds uh, a centralization of wealth, like you see with Jeff Bezos and, and uh, uh, Elon Musk, where they have billions of dollars and other people are get seemingly getting poorer and poorer. Now, there was a time in America where everybody was getting richer. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting richer. And uh, this was an accelerated process. Now, actually, if you go back to the 1800s, this was going on then as well. But even a, a rich person... Uh, back in those days, didn't always live as well as a poor person could live in America uh, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, certainly uh, today. But uh, the reality is, is this, uh, what is the cause of this increased wealth? Uh, was it capitalism by itself? Uh, because capitalism is simply an economic system, it lacks a political system. It lacks a social system. It lacks a moral system. Its only morality is if you produce it, it's yours. If you invest in it, whatever you invest in, it gives you a property right in that thing that you invested in. I mean, you you find a piece of land, you you fence it off so that the buffalo don't trample everything to pieces. You take the stream that just runs down to the middle, but you, now you you move that water to go here and there. You plant an orchard. The orchard grows up. You trim the orchard trees. You cultivate them. You cultivate the land to make the soil more nutritious. And then finally you get fruit. Now, you didn't produce the original genetics of that. God did. Uh, you didn't, you didn't make it rain so that the waters came. <laughs> you didn't own the dirt. And you never own the dirt, but you have a property right in the fruit because the fruit is the result of your sweat and toil, which you did give into the project of growing the orchard. That is the basis of capitalism. That you you found the gold, you mined the gold, you smelted the gold, you melted it down, you made the coin, the coin is yours. Because you cannot remove the value you put in consolidating that gold into a coin after digging a ton of dirt. You cannot remove that labor that you put into the coin unless you explode the coin and put it back into the ground <laughs> in those fine little particles of gold. So, you have a property right in the coin and so that's the essence of capitalism. But yes, capitalism can tend to centralize wealth in the hands of a few. And everybody else ends up being poor or you might have a middle class but it will shrink. 
But that comes about because of your choices of political systems. Your moral choices of what you do with your wealth. Your moral choices to uh, interact with the rest of society is going to determine whether or not wealth is centralized in the hands of a few or distributed equally amongst all. Well, of course, Moses, Abraham, Jesus Christ all had systems of the redistribution of wealth. Caesar had such a plan as well. There was a difference between Caesar's plan and Cain's plan and Nimrod's plan and the plan of Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ. Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ operated by free will offerings where the people chose to gather together in free assemblies. Actually, even call them free assemblies. The altars were the result of stones coming together in a free assembly, unchiseled, unregulated, because they were living stones, in order to provide a system of welfare for society that created the bonds of society, the social bonds of society, so that the rich man could keep his wealth and the poor man could obtain wealth because they created a stable society. But in order for that to work, the rich man had to share his wealth with the poor man because he was going to need the poor man to defend him, to protect his right to property. He couldn't protect it all himself. So he was going to need the poor man willing to uh, work to protect his property rights and he had to work to protect the property rights of the poor man. Now, in the centralized systems where you start centralizing power of you know, government or society, then you have this problem. If you do it in a political way, like you did with the Constitution, you will have to do things to prevent the power that you've centralized to do the very thing that happens when you have wealth that is centralized, where the the wealthy begin to act in their own interest. In the kingdom of God, the the wealthy must divide their interest with the interest of the poor and the middle class. They have to care about their neighbor in fundamental ways or their whole society breaks down. And since that society operates in according to the perfect law of liberty, in other words, only by free will offerings, you're going to get a different outcome then if you create a society that forces the offerings of the people and then elects somebody who is seeking power to redistribute the wealth, which is what socialism does, communism does, democracies eventually do, uh, indirect democracies eventually do. A, a republic doesn't have, its leaders are titular. They don't have that power. You might have a legislature, but they cannot legislate laws for the individual. They tried to create such a system with the Constitution. And unfortunately, though, they did not follow the Bible requirements for a free society, for a constitutionally organized free society. Because the Bible tells you 
five things to put in your constitution to help protect the liberty of the people. To help protect the people from the wealth being centralized, the power being centralized, the control being centralized. So God said, put these five things, write them down in your constitution, and you will be safer if you decide to have somebody who can exercise some authority. You have to put these things in to keep him from getting too much power. Of those five things, only one of them shows up in the Constitution. So, I've recently seen where people were talking about this separation of church and state, and that the Constitution and the United States and the early America was a Christian community, because there were all these Christians came over here. What this, it was a community where there were a lot of professing Christians, But many of them did not know Jesus Christ. They did not know Jesus Christ because many of the churches were not preaching the doctrines of Jesus Christ. They were preaching doctrines they said were of the Bible. But they weren't of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ never even mentioned them. He never talked about them. He, He barely made reference to the elements of them. And yet they say this is the doctrines of the church. But it's not because the doctrines of the church have to be the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And it would be okay if the church taught some things that were like in the Bible that Jesus never mentioned because the Bible's full of stories. And it's got the Old Testament. It's got a lot of uh, epistles. And, you know... Paul may have been inspired, but everybody who reads the Bible is not inspired, so they may misconstrue the meanings of Paul. I mean, Paul's writings were before the Gospels were written. The Gospels came after, even though the events came before. The Gospels that we have today were written after most of the writings of Paul. They may have come from writings as a source, what they call the Q Gospels before that, which is we will address more in detail when we deal deal with the canon. But what happens is that you end up, the church ends up focusing on these doctrinal, theological conclusions that they have constructed from taking stuff from here and stuff from there that actually distract you from the actual doctrines of Jesus Christ. They they pursue these doctrines of what they call the church at the expense of the doctrines of Christ, which is why, you know, we can point out that Jesus said you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors and and you were not to be that way. Because what they're offering you is the dainties of a table of which you should not eat. And that you should have a table of which they cannot eat because the church is actually separate from the state. And that's what we're going to get into in the second half of the show. But I wanted to read something that somebody posted on Facebook. And it said, the, the perfect church service... This is 
one of these delusional Christians. The perfect church service would be the one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. But every novelty prevents this. It fixes our attention on the service itself. And thinking about worship is a different thing than worshiping. Tis mad idolatry that makes the service service greater than the God. Which is actually a pagan statement. Uh, but the uh, it, you could put in the word in the translation there. You could put delusional idolatry that makes the service greater than the God. And that, of course, is what most people are doing in their churches because they don't understand church service. And so I responded, didn't get very many responses back. As a matter of fact, in this case, I got none. <laughs> that usually ends the conversation when I post. But church service in the early church included two forms consistently. The first is the sharing of the news from the rest of the Christian community gathering all over the Roman Empire and beyond. That's why it wasn't just Paul writing letters. There's all kinds of letters that were written back and forth because of the fact that as these durs, which we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, were rolling through the Roman Empire and even beyond, and by 540, it was all over the whole world, these durs. Uh, the the need for networking with other communities in far distant lands was absolutely essential. And, of course, we see in Acts that the Christians were able to do that right out of the box because the Christians were organizing according to the way that Christ commanded. They were sitting down in free will assemblies in congregations of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands until all of the Christian communities in all nations were networked together through this system of charity, so that if there was a difficult time or inflation, which we see running rampant, they were able to help one another out. And they created, we see right there in Acts 6, they created institutions by looking out amongst themselves, finding men they trust, and the apostles appointing them over those institutions to see to it that the daily ministration of the needy, even in foreign countries, far distant from Jerusalem, could be taken care of. And, of course, then we see immediately Paul in Acts going out with Barnabas and others to make sure that that daily ministration to the needy of those different communities was met in a timely fashion. Modern home churches, modern big churches, they don't do that. They actually go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. Those men who call themselves benefactors that are actually the rulers of governments. You see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell Jesus is saying this right out of his own mouth that you're not supposed to be going to those men. And of course, that's absolutely consistent with Proverbs. It's actually consistent with Psalms. It's consistent with all the prophets. And we show this and all the hundreds of articles that preparing you that, you know, if you sit and eat with a ruler and he serves you uh, these dainties from his table, he serves you deceitful meats. And you should put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. No, in other words, don't eat those things. 
So what you need to be doing if you're going to live according to the... Because he's a, he's a ruler. He exercises authority. He has set the table of benefits because he has forced your neighbor to contribute. This supposedly brings society together, but it actually divides society in a meaningful way. It's just like Facebook. You know, Zuckerberg says he's created Facebook to bring the people together. And really what Facebook does is it tribalizes the people. And we've seen that just rapidly taking place. Uh, if you're a conservative, you get conservative posts. If you're a, a liberal or a socialist, you're going to get the socialist posts. And he is actually dividing society by creating these tribes. By And this is, of course, what Twitter is doing. It is censoring the conversation. So that you cannot work out your differences. Because you're not going to hear the conservative side. Or you're not going to hear the uh, uh, liberal side. Or the, you know, uh, progressive side. And so they they begin to divide, tribalize all of society. And now you got everybody at each other. So the media has been doing the same thing. No, you want to have the conversation. You want to resolve your differences. But that's not what they want to do. They are dividing and conquering. What they're actually, there are two states. We, we use this word state. There are actually two states and we will get into this. One is capital S state. That's a centralization of political power and can be a centralization of wealth. And then there is the small letter state. That is the state of freedom, which is held by every individual. You have to understand that governments have no inherent rights. That they they are given rights by the people. You have a in in the law of nature you have an absolute right to choose all kinds of things. In in an inexhaustible set of choices. You you really don't have as many as you might even think you have. You really only have two choices. You're gonna eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or you're going to eat of the tree of life. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will think you have a million choices. <laughs> but reality is is that those choices will be manipulated because you can't be everywhere in the tree of knowledge. Or you have the choice of eating of the tree of life, which is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a still small voice. It's not going to strong arm you. It's going to show you a path. You have to listen quietly and carefully to know that path. But it's going to give you the best path. It might give you alternatives. Like you can go this way by this way. (laughs) Or you can go this way by that way. And so you may have some nuances of choice in there. But ultimately the choice you have is to eat of the tree of Life, the tree of the Holy Spirit, or not. And, and you, but you get to make that choice. It's very important to understand that this, uh, Christian community set a table for the welfare of the people that was funded through free will offerings and the perfect law of liberty. While Rome at this time, although Rome used to do that same thing in the early days of Rome when it was first a republic after they had their own Roman revolution, 
where they threw out the Tarquinian kings and set up a republic, much like America threw out uh, a king that was usurping more power than he had. Long story. But uh, the reality is is that uh, eventually they became more and more democratic and someone spread amongst them gifts, gratuities, and benefits and they became weaker and weaker and weaker. Like 150 years before the first emperor or at least 100 years before the first emperor, uh, Polybius was saying that the masses were developing this appetite for benefits and and had become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. Part of that was the huge rise of slavery in Rome. Now, slavery had not, when, when it was a true republic and a pure republic, there was very little slavery in the Roman, amongst the Roman people. There's always been some servitude, but the idea of enslaving large portions of people didn't exist. Sparta, they, more than half the people of Sparta were virtually slaves in Sparta. And it was a very Nazi-type government. We think, because of the movies, we're led to believe that somehow they were all for freedom. Well, they were freedom for the elite, but not for everybody else. <laughs> they actually kept them in subjection. But Rome moved away from the principles of a republic over a period of time. And eventually they ended up with an emperor. And of course, Polybius prophesied this. Plutarch talks about it, that what destroyed Rome was he who was spreading amongst the people these gifts. And of course, Proverbs, David, talks about what should have been for the welfare become a snare because they were based on forced offerings rather, rather than free will offerings. John the Baptist comes along and says we have to do free will offerings. If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, you have to do it through sharing, which is charity, and you have to do the same in meats. Well, the modern church who thinks they're going to church services because they focus on God and they love God and they love Jesus and they... They're not really following the Holy Spirit. They're following emotionalism. The service doesn't provide any daily bread, daily ministration. If they want any daily bread, if they want any welfare, if they want to eat the dainties of anybody, they're not going to eat the dainties of Christ freely offered in charity. They're going to eat the dainties of the world, which were collected by force. So they're not even in a church established by Christ. They're in a church that is established by uh, force and fear and covetousness. And so they don't understand that. So when I say separation of church and state, or when Jefferson says it, what does he mean? And that's what we're going to take a look at when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, there there was a uh, statement in uh, PragerU that they put out. It was actually by Dennis Prager. I thought it was kind of funny is that uh, if if you get personalized license plates, you, you know, you can put your name on there. You can put all kinds of things I've seen uh, put on these personalized uh, license plates. And uh, 
but evidently, uh, Prager, you can't put Prager U on your license plate. <laughs> they actually forbid that. Uh, the, so I thought, you know, that, that is amazing censorship. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, you can't have Trump on there, uh, on Twitter, but you can have Putin on Twitter. Uh, you can have uh, mass murderers on, on Twitter. But, uh, but you can't have, uh, you know, somebody who opposes your political philosophy. Because the nature of the left, uh, is one to stifle free speech. Uh, but the right really isn't much better. For years, um, most of the people that were con- considered conservative were stifling free speech, and they still do. Anomaly has pointed that out, that, that you can't, you know, the idea, oh, you can't say anything against the Jews. And uh, I don't want to say anything against anybody. But the reality is, is that free speech is free speech. And uh, you get to say that, and then you can have the debate about, because the, now you know who everybody is and what they're thinking. You can't say, well, you can have free speech except if you talk about this. <laughs> You can't. That that isn't the way it works. As long as you're sticking to speech, you should be able to have that. And that debate may come up now more and more with Elon Musk trying to get Twitter. I don't know what will happen there. I don't really think it's as important as that you need to wake up as individuals and start doing the right thing by everybody. Uh, it's, it is just absolutely important that people actually start being honest about themselves, about what they think. And that's why you have the conversation is because somebody else will say, well, you think that? Well, that's crazy. That's wrong. Uh, that, that, that's wrong because of this, 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 and this, and this. And maybe the guy who's saying you're wrong because of these three things, he's wrong about one of those things. And you can point that, well, you're wrong about that. And then maybe he'll say, well, you know, you're right. I'm wrong about that. But I'm not wrong about these other <laughs> So you have the conversation. In a free society, it's very important to have the conversation. And that's what we need to do is have that conversation with one another. Uh, but people are not having that conversation with one another. They're very confused about what that conversation. Well, as an example, the the woman who was chosen to be on the Supreme Court, this is what they said, because she was black and she was a woman. And she's supposedly chosen by Joe Biden. But when she was asked, can you define what a woman is? She said... I'm not a biologist. She couldn't do it because she wasn't a biologist. And the conservatives that were questioning her, I guess they're conservative Republicans, whatever, uh, they didn't even, they didn't even get it. They, they just completely missed their opportunity here. Because she just said by her answer that g- gender of a woman is determined by biology. And I can't determine it because I'm not a biologist. She just said, that's how you determine it. You have to be a biologist to determine it. But then, how how did Biden determine that she was a woman? 
Was he a biologist? No. See, it, 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 the, their arguments, their statements are so illogical. But the right cannot argue against them because they're not righteous either. You know, their, their system of social welfare is a snare. And the system of social welfare on the left is a snare. Both of them make you merchandise. Both of them empower the state, capital S state. Both of them unempower and degenerate the small S state, which is you. And eventually we'll get to the point where we'll show you that God requires that the church, whether it's the church in the wilderness or the altars of Abraham or the the church established by Jesus Christ, all of which provide a service for society to keep it free, all of those institutions had to be separate from the small estate as well as from the capital S state. And your modern churches are not separate from the capital S state. And they have separated you from Christ in most cases because they've made you a part of the capital S state. Now, I don't know if you can follow all that. It might be a little confusing, but that's why we're going to go through this program today dealing with church and state which, you know, uh, some will say that the Founding Fathers never intended for church and state to be completely separate, uh, you know, separate entities. They will say that religion, based on the Bible, was indispensable to the moral foundation of the nation they were creating. Religion based on the Bible. Well, the, the interesting thing is the word religion doesn't show up anywhere in the Old Testament. It doesn't show up but five times in the New Testament. So what is religion based on the Bible? Because most of the time that religion's mentioned in the Bible, it's bad religion. There's only one time where it's referred to as pure religion. And pure religion is separate from the state. <laughs> That's what it says. It's unspotted by the world. And the word world there is the word that is defined in the concordance that most all these churches use. It's defined as constitutional order or system of government, which is a state, capital S state. So, religion based on the Bible is separate from the state. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, it goes on. That may be true concerning moral people, because morality is important for a free nation. But what is moral? That that's another question. But concerning moral people being essential to a free society, but no one should assume that the Constitution is biblical, which we touched on earlier in the show, uh, because it is not. The Constitution is not a biblical document. It doesn't follow the precepts of the Bible. It actually goes against the the very specific instructions 
of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 17.16 and on our article that is actually in the process of being written. I've written enough of it to do this first show. But uh, I have links to other articles. The Constitution, uh, you know, not my Constitution uh, article that's up there will explain as well as the book Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions that uh, the five elements that you're supposed to put in a Constitution are not in the Constitution of the United States. So it's not a biblical document. It's counter-biblical. Now, a lot of the people who were putting it together may have been Christians. Some people say they're deists. We have articles that explain what the problem with that is. And and I, I, I'm sure that I could find all kinds of places that were, where I would argue with uh, Thomas Paine, uh, George Washington, who argued with each other, uh, with Jefferson, uh, certainly with Hamilton, <laughs> Adams... I would have all kinds of points of dispute. If they were on my Twitter and I was using Twitter, <laughs> which I don't even use, uh, then uh, I, I would have all kinds of disagreements with these guys. But fundamentally, they're way better in most cases than the people that we're now dealing with that are in political power. And the reason why is because the people, small state of America, have already degenerated for the last 100 years under people like Woodrow Wilson, FDR, LBJ, because all of them have been leading you in the ways of Cain and all of your churches have not pointed this out. All your churches have allowed you to pursue the ways of Nimrod and abandon the ways of Christ. And we'll show you this, we do show you this over and over again. So if you stick with us, we will lay this out step by step. But all we're doing is giving you a choice to pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness or continue to pursue the kingdom of Nimrod and his rewards of unrighteousness. I'm using key words here that are right out of the biblical text. Many of you will not even know they're in the biblical text because you'll never hear them from your ministers because it gets too close to the truth. Because they're not really born again from above. They're not walking in the Spirit. They're actually engaged in idolatry, which is why we had that show first, and we have those audios up so that you can see that if you're engaged in covetous practices... You're practicing idolatry because the Bible tells you covetousness is idolatry. So that's very important to understand. (laughs) So anyway, the separation of church and state doctrine. And of course we could put separation of church and state capital state. Or we could put separation of church and state small letter S state. Because the church is supposed to be separate from both of those. And there's a reason why. Very good, reasonable reason why. And it's repeated over and over and over again in the biblical text. But your pastors and your preachers and your puddin'head pastors have missed it. But we'll share it with you. And then you can decide for yourself. But you may have to put down some of your delusions. 
So Thomas Jefferson wrote this letter of separation, they call the separation of church and state, and supposedly where this doctrine came from. And uh, Prager U was saying that God doesn't want you to be entirely separated, the church to be entirely separated from the state. Well, yeah, the church is not supposed to be of the state. When he says of the world, he's using that same Greek word again. That means constitutional order or system of government. You're not to be of that capital S state. But in truth, you're also not supposed to be of the small S state. You're supposed to belong to God if you're a minister of the church. And the minister of the church's goal is to set the captive free because the church has no goal except what Christ's goal was. It has no doctrine except for the doctrines of Jesus Christ. When it starts spending all kinds of time creating new doctrines by gleaning through the scriptures or gleaning through history or theological books or psychological books or philosophical books to create all kinds of new doctrines that Jesus never mentioned, those new doctrines will be used by evil to distract you from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if you knew and you memorized every single word that Jesus said, till you're born from above, born from that spirit, you're not going to really get it. Intellectually, you may see, oh, I better not go that way. Uh, intellectually, you may know that oh, that's a bad idea. But you won't be born of the Spirit. You have to start eating of the tree of life. You have to start following the Holy Spirit. And that's a process. Seeking the kingdom of God is a process, which is why Christ uses words like strive, persevere. You're not going to do it on your own. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take the intervention of that Holy Spirit. But you want to open the door to that Holy Spirit. And one of the ways you do that is to love your neighbor as yourself, which is why you sit down in those tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands to start taking care of a daily ministration of the needy that operates by faith, hope, and charity alone and does not go to men who exercise authority one over the other because they serve you deceitful meat. So anyway, back to Thomas Jefferson and his letter. The letter was written to the Danbury Baptist Association. And he names some of the people that are the head of that association, or at least maybe sit on the board or something. I'm not sure of their exact position. But he actually names some. But the letter is actually to the Danbury Baptist Association. Almost all the social welfare in America was provided through charity by the actions of such associations. Now, if you read Alexis Tocqueville, he says, those associations is what made America great. And many of those associations were rooted in churches like the Baptist Church or the even the Presbyterian Church or the Episcopal Church or the Quaker Church and lots of other church groups that we would call denominations. But they would form associations by which they would build hospitals, they would build libraries, they would build schools, and they would do all sorts of things 
that were charitable, creating these charitable institutions through free will offerings. And there was, even public schools were funded mostly by these uh, charitable associations or the individual charities to, of the people. And that's what he says made America great. And he toured all over America in the early 1800s. And that's what he said. That was the magic uh, element or, or the mysterious element of America's success. We had natural resources, but they had natural resources in Canada. They had natural resources in South America. They had natural resources in Mexico. But the what was being generated in America was different. And what was that difference, according to Alexis Tocqueville? It was these charitable associations of the people. And and Jefferson is writing one of those associations. And he says we should ask, and well, I, I, I'll read the actual letter later, but I say that we should ask and examine what the definition of religion was when Jefferson wrote his letter. Religion was defined at that time as the real piety and practice consisting in the performance of all known duties to God and our fellow man. So what is our duty to God? Uh, does God give us jobs, you know, like our parents give us chores, like take out the trash and, and do this? Or we got to go to church on Sunday or maybe, oh, we got to go to church on Sabbath and, and we got to... No. God's duty, our duty to God, is to love our neighbor as ourself. So that duty to God is fulfilled in fulfilling our duty to our fellow man, which is our duty to God. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need, you know, he's not so insecure that if you don't sing songs to him, that he, you know, like Saul, he's not going to be able to sleep well. Saul couldn't sleep well unless David sung him songs. But Saul wasn't God. God doesn't need David to sing him songs. He doesn't need you to sing him songs. He doesn't need you to praise him. His ego is not suffering and <laughs> that he constantly needs to be reaffirmed in your eyes. That's not what worship is. Worship is the fulfillment of that duty, doing the will of the Father. This is why Christ kept emphasizing that. Not my will, but the will of the Father. If you love me, do the will of the Father. Not those who say they love me or sing songs or praise me in church and, and repeat it over and over again in endless repetition of prayers. But no, he who does the will of the Father, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you forgive your neighbor, unless you take care of your neighbor. And you can only do that if you're following the righteousness of God, if you do it through charity free will offerings because you cannot take away the rights of your neighbor to make choices and think that you will maintain your right to make choices. If you judge that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want, your health care, your school, your guaranteed income, if you think that's okay, then it's okay to force you to contribute to what somebody else wants, including what Klaus Schwab wants. You see? And that's religion. That's religion. Religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. Religion was simply how a nation, the people of a society, takes care of the needy and therefore how they serve God or gods 
they have chosen for themselves. How do you take care of the needy of your society? You have men that force the contributions that you make. They will collect it April 15th, just recently. I remember April 15th because it's one of my son's birthdays. My firstborn was born on April 15th. And that's one of the days where your priests come and collect from you to take care of the needy. Of course, everybody in Congress thinks they're needy. <laughs> That's why they're always voting themselves raises. <laughs> but if if you ask Google what religion is, Google's going to tell you. He's, it's not going to tell you that religion is a duty. Then the word duty is not going to show up. They're going to tell you that religion is what you think about a supreme being. That's not the case. It, religion, when Jefferson was writing his letter, was a duty. It was a pious duty. In essence, it was a patrimonial duty. There was no real welfare in America back then. If you go back to uh, the days of Horatio Bunce and Davy Crockett, uh, which is back in the days not far removed from when Alexis Tocqueville was coming through the country, all the charity, all the schools... All the hospitals were built by charity, by people putting together funds and building these things for the betterment of their local communities and even other communities farther away. And uh, I have links to an article where you can actually see this was discussed in the halls of Congress because Davy Crockett happened to be a congressman at that time. But he was schooled by Horatio Bunce because he was starting to think that the government's job was the welfare, individual welfare of the people. General welfare, they had to promote that. Well, nothing promotes general welfare more than free enterprise, the right to choose. But, yes, you need a moral people. But a moral people do not covet their neighbor's goods. So now that we know the definition of religion... Uh, that Jefferson also knew. That that definition is right out of Bouvier's Law Dictionary. So Jefferson knew that definition of religion. And now words sometimes get interchanged a little bit, even back then. And uh, so we, we might take that into uh, consideration if you say the word church is not the same as the word religion. You're not supposed to establish a way... The government is not supposed to establish a way to take care of the needy of society because that would be establishing a religion. They won't call it a religion. They'll call it social welfare. But if religion is social welfare provided by the church, the daily administration that took care of the needy of society, including widows and orphans, then that's religion. But if you change the definition of religion to churchanity, then you can say, well, the the government's not supposed to establish a religion, a church. No. It's not supposed to establish a way in which to take care of the needy of society. And Horatio Bunce is explaining that to David Crockett. That the government's not in that business. It will destroy the nation. He knew that. Polybius knew it. Plutarch knew it. Uh, John the Baptist knew it. 
Jesus knew it. Paul knew it. The modern church and the modern preachers, they think, no, no, that's good. The government will take care of all that. We're just going to be singing to God. So anyway, he writes his letter to uh, Mr. Nehemiah Dodge and Ephraim Robbins and Stephen S. Nelson, a committee of the Danbury Baptist Association in the state of Connecticut. And he uses a small s state of Connecticut. Now, I don't want to get into, you know, like if we get our capitalization right, uh, then we can be free. No, I'm just pointing that out that he's talking about the state of Connecticut because when he's writing this, Connecticut is still a republic. It isn't a subsidiary of the United States federal government. Now, there there was a United States, but we've already pointed this out. We pointed it out clearly, quoting uh, Clark's summary of U.S. American law, that the states, even after the ratification and acquiescence of the Constitution of the United States, were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. They were still separate countries. So, the state of Connecticut was a separate country, just like we talked and we did a program on commonwealths. There were a few states that called themselves commonwealths. And it's it's kind of important to understand that. But anyway, he goes on, Gentlemen, the affectionate sentiments uh, of esteem and approbation which you are so good as to express toward me, because he's responding to a letter, on behalf of the Danbury Baptist Association, gives me the highest satisfaction. My duties... Dictate a faithful and zealous pursuit of the interests of my constituents. And in proportion as they are persuaded of my fidelity to those duties, the discharge of them becomes more and more pleasing. So, he's responding to something, a letter from them. I'm going to put out a request. Can anybody find the original letter from the Danbury Baptist Church to Jefferson that he's responding to and send me a copy? <laughs> I would like to read that. But we're going we're gonna to continue this after a break. We're going to have to go to a uh, break. But he goes on and talks about believing with you that religion. But we'll say that when we come back. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're looking at this letter and we've looked at the definition of religion and uh, we could read this next line here where it says believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man singular term and his god that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship that the legitimate powers of government reach action only and not opinions. I, uh, it goes on to say, I, I contemplate with a sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law, and he's quoting here, respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Well, when he said that, when that was written, religion was the pious performance of a duty. It wasn't what you think about God. So, what's he talking about? What was the Constitution talking about when it's saying establishment of religion? 
Because, see, you should be able to establish your own social security system to take care of the needy of your Christian community. And that's what the church should be doing because then the church would have a daily ministration that would take care of the needy of your society. Now, the Pharisees set up such a system and that system required the sacrifices of the people and they called that system Corban because Corban is a Hebrew word for sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the word Corban is sometimes translated free will offering. Uh, but in the, the New Testament, the word Corban shows up twice. Once they translated treasury, and the other time they just write in the word Corban. But the sacrifice, that's what it means, of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect, because years before with Herod, they had set up a system where you signed up and you had to pay in to the treasury, the Corban treasury, there's another word for treasury, um, uh there's actually even another word for treasury <laughs> in the New Testament but uh, Corbin had its own treasury and that it would be today would be at least in part your social security fund because that's the sacrifice you, you, you have to pay in because you signed up and those funds are supposed to go to take care of the needy of society now there's there's uh, lots of uh, T's crossed and I's dotted that make it so it's not what you think. But the point is, that's religion. Social Security is a religious system to take care of the needy of your society. It's not based on charity. It's based on force. And the Corbin of the Pharisees was not based on charity. It was based on force. Both systems make the word of God to none effect. Both systems are religious systems. And both systems actually are a part of your worship. Because that was another word. We just read that in his letter. It said, talked about faith or his worship. Well, we just saw that they changed the definition of religion from a pious performance of a duty to what you think about God. Did they mess around with the definition of the word worship during the last hundred years or two hundred years? Well, the modern definition of the word worship is, and I'm quoting here, the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. That's a very common modern definition of the word worship. A feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. But the word worship used to mean homage, even submission to the will and rank of a superior. So, that's what worship used to be. And you could actually even go back to... Now, it was getting cloudy already at the time of Jefferson, but you go back then. I mean, that's why the the judges in the English courts were called your worship, because you were going to have to obey his judgment. He was the ruling god of his court, court. What he decided was going to be what was good and evil for you, which is another whole topic, which we address elsewhere. But the reality is, is that 
the people who are saying when you go to church services that what the church there is supposed to do is give you a feeling based on the way in which they express a reverence and adoration of Jesus Christ or God or both. But worship should be doing the will of the Father. And of course Christ says that. That's his doctrine. It's not the doctrine of the modern church because you don't have to do anything according to the modern church because you can't earn salvation. And that's absolutely true. All good lies have an absolute truth in them. Is that you can't do anything where God owes you salvation. Where God owes you life. You can't, you can't do anything to make that happen. That's absolutely true. But if you're not doing the will of the Father, you're not worshiping God, and you don't love Jesus, and you're not following the doctrines of Jesus, you're not faithful, you're not a believer, because you're not doing what God said, what Christ said. If you're going to men who are rulers but call themselves benefactors but exercise authority by taking a bite out of your neighbor, you're not a Christian. And when when uh, Davy Crockett thought that was an okay idea and Horatio Bunce had to have that conversation with him and say, no, that's not a good idea, he confessed and said, you know, you're right. (laughs) I was wrong. To vote money from the Treasury of the United States to help out the poor and needy. They were victims of a fire and they Congress voted to send them money to help. I mean, they had to run out of their houses because the houses were burning so fast they didn't even have any clothes. They didn't have any food. They didn't have shoes on their feet or nothing. And Congress voted to allocate money to help out these poor victims. And Americans back then thought that was terrible. People objected to it, even in Congress. But it it was in Washington, D.C., and they knew some of these people, and they voted. But that was wrong. That isn't the purpose of government. That's the purpose of church. And I'm sure all kinds of people would have taken those people in, provided them with shoes, provided them with clothes, provided them with food, and helped them out. Because that's what made America great. Because that's what we used to do. We don't do that anymore because that's the government's job. See, in Poland, they still understand that. That's why the Polish are taking in Ukrainians. They're, they're taking them into their house. They don't have big camps and, and all this stuff. They're taking them into their house. And they're feeding them at their table. That's the table of the Lord. There, where people share willingly. The table of Caesar the table of Nimrod, the table of Cain, the table of Sodom and Gomorrah, is I'm going to force you to take care of the needy I see fit to receive you. I mean, you're already seeing it. You, you can say anything you want if you're in accordance with the spirit of Twitter or the spirit of, you know, the socialist narrative. Uh, they're already talking about you don't get the vaccination, you you don't have the right political party. We're not going to give you any food. We're not we're not going to give you any bread. 
We're not going to give you any medicine. We're not going to let you go into our hospitals. It's time for Americans to repent. It's time for the whole world to repent and start going back to what the... It's certainly time for the church to repent and start becoming the social welfare of the people because there will be no other. And start learning what it means to separate from the world because you're not supposed to be of the world if you're the church. Because if you're of the world, they can come and take your stores. They can come and take your food. They can come and take your medicines. Your bandages. They can come and take all those things because you're of them. You're part of their commonwealth. You're not a part of the commonwealth of Christ. So, yeah, they not only change the definition of religion, they change the definition of worship. And they change a lot of definitions. So, making no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof would include requiring everybody to get a social security number and join that system of religion. You have to join their church. You can't get a driver's license unless you're a member of their church. You you soon won't be able to buy gas if you're not a member of their church. You don't have your social security number. Now, I'm not telling you to get rid of your social security number. You're in the bondage of Egypt. I'm just bringing you the news. You know, Klaus Schwab says you will own nothing and you will be happy. Well, I'm going to tell you, you already own nothing. He's just going to let you, he's just letting you know you own nothing. (laughs) But we've explained that elsewhere. You just have to listen to the other recordings. So, let's get a little farther down in this letter before we get to the end of the show today. We can maybe take this up this afternoon. Uh so he's, he he makes it very clear that this this building a wall of eternal separation between church and state. Now here he does use a capital S for state because he knows that that state is the corporate state, the government state, and he actually uses a capital C for church and state. Congress thus inhibited from acts respecting religion even though Social Security respects religion. See, they didn't really force... You have to sign up. You have to sign up for their religion still. But it is what they call public religion. We have an article on public religion. We have an article on Social Security. We have an article on Corbin. And they go through step by step and show you what the laws actually say. And we're getting more and more... Audio's up, uh, trying to get them on those pages so you can listen to the audio while you read the page or afterwards or whatever. And the executive authorized only to execute their acts. He's referring to the president. That the, the legislature is permanently barred from creating a religion. And of course, they have. It's the religion of social security. The, the, which, of course, if you have Social Security, you also can get other welfare and you can get all kinds of benefits. But those benefits are all provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. And Christ said it wasn't to be that way with us. But it is. 
And it's the way in which you engage in covetous practices that make you merchandise. And in the Old Testament, they say their table is a snare. And Paul quotes David, who says what should have been for their welfare is a snare. And Peter says it will make you merchandise. And Peter says it will curse your children, specifically with debt, which, of course, it has. And it's all because the church you're going to is not a church established by Jesus Christ. It's not preaching the gospel of Christ. It's preaching the gospel of Nimrod, the gospel of Babylon. And you've been listening to liars and the prophets of the beast. And now you're on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> so you need to repent, think differently, and and God will do the rest. Yeah, I mean... If you think differently, you have to turn those th- that thinking into actions. So, anyway, he goes on to say, I have uh, refrained uh, from prescribing even those occasional performances of devotion practiced indeed by the executive of another nation as the legal head of its church, but subject here as religious exercise only to the voluntary regulation and discipline of each respective sect. Now, when he was writing this letter, he was having trouble. And you actually, in in the original draft, you actually see him crossing out certain phrases and then writing down something to replace it. And then he crosses that out and he writes down another phrase. And eventually, he he begins to, you know, like he says, uh, confining myself, therefore, to the duties of my station, which are merely temporal, be assured that your religious rights shall never be infringed by any act of mine, and that, but then crossed out those lines, and then wrote in, concurring with, But having crossed out these two words also, he wrote, finally, adhering to this great act of national legislation in behalf of the rights of conscience. Next, he crossed out these words and wrote. So he wrote those and he crossed that. So he's having trouble. There's no two ways about it. But now he he again begins adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience. I shall see with friendly disposition the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural convinced, natural rights convinced that he has no natural rights in opposition to his social duties. He's going back to religion being the pious performance of a social duty to God and to your fellow man through acts of conscience, individual conscience. Government has no conscience. Individual have conscience. Governments have no natural rights. Individuals have natural rights. And the friendly disposition has to do with charity. 
if you want your natural rights back, you have to take back your natural responsibilities and provide for yourselves through pure religion, the friendly disposition of charity, and the care of the needy of your society, and stop eating at the tables of idolaters who force the contributions of your neighbor, take a bite out of one another through the power of government, through the exercising authority of men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise that authority instead. And actually start doing what Christ said from the beginning. And that's not what we've been doing in our churches. It's not what we've been doing in our society for over a hundred years. We've almost completely abandoned it. Now, you can, you can watch the progress and a progression of this over a long period of time. But since FDR, LBJ, the New Deal, it has gone really downhill. I mean, at the beginning of 1900s, the black family, 3% at the most were single parent families. Because of Woodrow Wilson and FDR, this progressed up to like 25%, 27%. But with LBJ, who targeted the black communities, it jumped up to 70%. This is altering. It's degenerating society. It degenerated the black community and it's going into the white community. And like I say, I don't even like black and white communities uh, or Asian communities. It's just the community of mankind. But it's because you have the, your control group. They they weren't targeting the the Asian community. They were targeting the black community. And you can see what it did. They actually went in. If you read our article... Uh, of Cloward and Piven, they actually went into those communities and tried to get as many possible as they could signed up. I can, I can name you people in the Mexican community that saw them come in, co- come into their family and tried to get them signed up more and more for social welfare through the government. It crippled the families. It destroyed this, uh, at least one son of the family and has undermined others in the family. Because of social welfare, this guaranteed income through social welfare from men who exercise authority one over the other because they don't have the governing effect of rights of conscience. You've been taking away the right to choose from your neighbor for so long you've become accustomed to it. Can you wonder there aren't more tyrants in the world today? So real quickly, because uh, we only have a few minutes, we'll get to the bottom of the letter and then we can save uh, more of the solution for the afternoon show. If we get to the afternoon show, i got a lot going on today. Uh, I reciprocate your kind prayers for the protection and blessing of the common father and creation of man and tender you for yourselves and uh, the Danbury Baptist uh, Association assurance of my high respect and esteem. Yeah, they were concerned about the government setting up a religion, but this was 1802. It wasn't until 1933 that we really set up a national public religion through the Social Security Administration.
which was opposed by one of the biggest churches in the world. Until Eleanor Roosevelt met with one of their priests in New York, and then he came out of the meeting, and it was okay. And there were some changes that took place, but exactly what, we'll have to save that for another time. (laughs) So anyway, like I said, he's talking about duties and social duties, and that's what religion is. It's the fulfillment of your social duty, and it's either done through the perfect law of liberty that Paul talks about, or it's done through covetous practices that Peter warns us about. You have all decided, because your churches aren't really preaching the doctrines of Jesus Christ, that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through the power of government. It is not okay. And the benefits you get are the wages of unrighteousness. Also translated, the rewards of unrighteousness. And the day of condemnation is not far away. And it's getting closer every day, of course. Always was. John the Baptist talked talked about fulfilling these duties uh, repenting, thinking a different way and fulfilling these duties through charity. Jesus talked about it through charity. He called it love. It's translated love when Jesus says it, charity when Paul says it. Paul says to do it through charity. We see him operating a charitable network all over the Roman Empire. Taking funds, taking supplies all over the Roman Empire. But your modern home church doesn't do that. They go to the men who exercise authority. Your modern Episcopalian church, your Lutheran church, your Methodist church, your Seventh-day Adventist church, they have a little token charity in these groups. But 90% or more, 80-90% or more of the charity that these people receive is legal charity, which is not charity. Legal charity is what Alexis Tocqueville warned about, that it would destroy this nation. That if we went to legal charity, Horatio Bunce knew it. Davy Crockett knew it. Uh, Alexis, like I say, Alexis Tocqueville knew it. You have forgotten it. You weren't taught it. We're teaching you it. So what you need to do is go to preparingyou.com and join the network. You need to go to hisholychurch.org and join the network. Either one, doesn't matter. You end up in the same place. And the network is based on geography, and it's just an email network. That's that's how you begin the process. And uh, uh, then once you get on that group, then you start forming actual congregations of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You don't have to get together and sing. If you do get together, fine. You can sing. <laughs> but if you're not getting together and harmonizing with the doctrines of Jesus Christ, starting to learn what it means to take care of one another while you pay your tally of bricks, because you're in the bondage of Egypt, you're going to have to pay your tally of bricks for the most part. If you don't learn to do that, learn to do what the early church was doing, may God have mercy on your soul. Because you can see things changing. Right before our eyes. All around the world. Everywhere. And so you may need to repent. You need to change the way you think. And you need to start going the other way. With a friendly disposition of love and charity for one another. Until then, may God be with you. And may there be peace upon your house. God bless.
See you on the network. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.